Mrs. Bear book, Life with Hope. It says, how can we tell you how to recover? We cannot. All we can do is share with you our own experiences and recovery through the 12 steps of Marijuana Anonymous. Chris, go right ahead. Okay. My name is Chris, Marijuana Addict, and I wanted to share my experience, strength, and hope with you tonight. Uh, I'm very grateful to be here, and Marianne has been asking me to do this for a while, and I haven't been able to, but tonight I can, so I'm happy to be here. And I have a long history with marijuana, starting when I was uh, in my 20s. I never, I never smoked in high school or in college, but in in my 20s, early 20s, uh, I was in uh, groups, and everyone else in the group was smoking, and I felt left out if I didn't smoke, and I wanted to be one of the guys. I wanted to be included in one of the guys, and that also included drinking and doing cocaine. So I did all that stuff. For about 10 years, to about 1985, when uh, I was drinking tequila and passed out, uh, really, really badly drunk, passed out and threw up and everything. If I had been on my back, I probably would have choked to death, but I was face down, so I lived. And the next day is when I swore off alcohol, especially tequila, and I also swore off cocaine. That was 30, 33 years ago. Okay. Uh, so I was saying, even though I stopped drinking and doing cocaine, I continued to smoke. And smoking was my reward after a long day or my reward after working hard. It wasn't every day but it was um, something to do at the end of the day to kind of relax and kick back and and uh, sort of finish off the day. And of course, once I smoked, I would get hungry and eat a lot of cookies and ice cream uh, or whatever was around, donuts. I would overeat all the time. So this was uh, progressed for 15 or 20 years. Um, until I was doing a, a Broadway show and I got my ears blown out in a, uh, in a single traumatic event. I had, I had to wear headphones to play this show and, um, something happened with the equipment and ex- the headphones basically exploded in my ears. It was like somebody put uh, a pair of scissors in either ear and jammed it up there, and my ears were bleeding, my nose was bleeding, there was all this pus and stuff coming out, but I continued to play, and I lost a a huge portion of my hearing that night. Uh, That was December 7th, 1999. So I tried to live with it, but couldn't, and went to ear doctor, a very, uh, an ear specialist, and he gave me the whole exam and confirmed that I had indeed lost all this hearing, most of my hearing. And, uh, you know, I was asking him, what can I do to uh, 
to relieve this. He said, do you smoke pot? And I said, yeah, I kind of admitted to smoking pot. He said, well, look, you want to smoke a little pot? You know, if it, may, if it helps, go ahead. And once, when he said that, it was like the gates opened wide. And that gave me a, a license to smoke as much pot as I wanted, whenever I wanted, as often as I wanted, as strong as I could find, uh, which was really a disaster. So from 1999 until 2013, uh, I smoked more and more and more. So that was like a 15-year period, a 14-year period where where my smoking got more and more uh, habitual, smoking every day, um, smoking first thing in the morning, smoking if I had an hour to myself, if my wife and kids were out of the house, if uh, I dropped the kids off at school and I had uh, some free time at the house, I would I would get high. If I had... Uh, a half an hour to kill while my kids were having a dental appointment. I would smoke. I would smoke at the halftime of their soccer game. Uh, I, I came up with all kinds of reasons to smoke because my ear doctor said so, because I was at a soccer game, because I felt like it. Uh, it really got out of control. And I was living a like the book says, a, f a fantasy of functionality. I was still working and still holding mm -hmm. a job. You there? Can you hear me? Yes, yes go oh. ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was still holding a job, <clears throat> still functioning, paying the bills and driving in and out of New York City and working and stuff. Uh, but it was really... It was really... Uh, an ingrained habit now and I wasn't I, I wasn't actually enjoying getting high it wasn't like I was getting high with a bunch of guys because they were all getting high and we would laugh and get silly and um, it wasn't that at all it was uh, this whole habitual pattern leading up to the actual smoking the dealing with a, a dealer and copying the pot and rolling it and smoking and rolling it and manicuring it and uh, rolling enough joints to last me a couple of days then hiding it somewhere so that my kids couldn't find it, uh, burying it outside, uh, hiding it in all kinds of places. And then once I actually got to a place, I pulled over on the side of the road or, or behind a tree or wherever it was convenient at that moment, then the minute I smoked, the rest of the time was trying to make it like I hadn't smoked. I would wash my face. I would eat an orange. I would put Visine in my eyes. I would chew with vitamin C tablets. I would gargle with Listerine. I would do some jogging in place or I would go exercise or ride a bike, uh, anything to appear mm -hmm. that I, I hadn't gotten high. So that was the cycle. And then after an hour or hour and a half of that, I would come down and eat something and sort of resume my normal life. But of course I looked 
wasted and tired and people would say, gee, you didn't get much sleep last night. Gee, you don't look so great. Gee, what happened? Uh, And everybody could tell. Everybody could tell something was up. Not that they cared whether it was marijuana or heroin or whatever, but something was definitely up. So this was a a really ingrained pattern for a long time. Um, Right up until 2014, where I was really losing my reason, really losing the ability to judge, to make good judgments. My frontal lobe, the top of my brain was was completely anesthetized. And uh, I was making worse and worse decisions. My wife, my ex-wife, I should say, my wife at the time was begging me to stop. You got to stop. You got to stop. The kids know what you're doing. My kids were uh, teenagers by now. They know what you're doing. You're not hiding anything from them. You're a drag to be around. You're no fun. Even when we had uh, people to a dinner party or guests for the weekend or something like that, I would entertain everybody and do all the cooking and we would have a nice day, but at a certain point, 10.30 or 11, 11.30 at night, I would pretend to be asleep or tend to be really, pretend to be really tired so that these guests would leave. Then was my moment to walk the dog and take a joint and go outside and smoke. Uh, no matter what, if it was 12 or 1, 2 in the morning, I still had to finish the night off by smoking. Uh, which drove my wife nuts. And she was, she's a wonderful lady. We're friends now after being divorced for five years. And uh, we can talk about this stuff. But I was in a deep, deep, really deep depression. I was under, uh, I was seeing a psychiatrist. And he had prescribed uh, Prozac and something called Cymbalta. And, and I tried all these different medications which are antidepressants, yet I never stopped smoking. So that's really uh, the definition of insanity, to to be taking antidepressants but smoking something that's a known depressant, just like heroin is a depressant. Marijuana depresses your system, uh, acts very similarly to heroin, at least on me. I'll, I can only speak for myself. But... Uh, Looking back on that, that was truly insane. I'm taking antidepressants, Prozac, and all this stuff daily and going to a shrink and talking about my problems. And as soon as I left the shrink, get high, get high on the way home, pull off the road and pretend I'm looking at a map, open the rear of the car and, and smoke a little there, then find some place that looked good, a little park or someplace or behind a gas station, wherever I could, wherever I could think I could get away with it. I would pull off the road and smoke and then uh, not really be able to have the benefit of the, of the shrink session, which I was paying for and not be able to dream that night, not be able to have a, a release in my, in my subconscious about the day's events or, or what happened. That's almost the most important thing about, about smoking pot that you don't dream you pass out, or I passed out, especially after eating a bunch of sweets, getting high, and then eating uh, sugar, ice cream, and cookies. But you pass out and don't dream, and then have a not only a 
drug hangover in the morning, but a food hangover and an emotional hangover because you never got to express your feelings. All this stuff is numbed out. And if you were angry or if you're happy, it didn't matter. You numbed everything with the pot. I numbed everything with the pot. I continued to use this drug uh, long after it was any fun for me to use. I mean, those 12 questions, I answer yes to every one of them. And I always think that there should be a 13th question. If you answered yes to every single question, you're in the right place. But every every uh, everything that you read in Life with Hope it was me to a T. And the, the first meeting I went to, I was so happy to be among other potheads. And the first time I heard somebody's story, which was similar to mine, was when I started to recover. I really felt my recovery kick in and next month it'll be five years so it's it's insidious i mean that word comes up a lot it's a an insidious drug it eats away at your judgment it eats away at your personality it eats away at at your um, ability to have fun and it it ate away at, at my ability to enjoy life at all i was I was not enjoying life. I was depressed. Um, And my whole life centered around the next time I'm going to meet up with a dealer, how much pot am I going to be able to buy? And then once I buy it, how am I going to roll it? Where am I going to go to to manicure it and get it ready to smoke? It was a full-time job. It didn't leave much time for anything else, least of all a marriage. So... My wife and I were married for 43 years, and after 43 years, uh, it, it's what broke us about. It's what broke us apart. You know, she couldn't take me smoking anymore, and and divorce me. It's as simple as that. And I I didn't see it coming. I kept thinking I was going to be able to stop, and I would stop. You know, for a week, or I stopped for a month one time. I stopped for six months one time. Um, but I was never able to stay completely sober and I always eventually come back. And then when I did come back, smoke even more than I smoked before. And the, having my ears blown out in 99, I had the, this, uh, the support of a doctor. So that was my excuse to my wife and to anybody who ever caught me. Well, I'm, the doctor said I should smoke pot. You know, it helps with helps with my hearing loss. But I was very uh, careful to always hide it. I never smoked around friends. I never smoked at work. I never smoked before work. Uh, I was always very secretive and very uh, like a spy. Uh, it's a full-time job to keep it secret all the time, keep my supply hidden, keep my papers and my lighters and my chewable vitamin C and my Visine, all this stuff. I had this whole kit that I kept that was part of my equipment. I always traveled with it. Um, The times that um, the kids would discover something like a film can, a 35 millimeter film can that had uh, roaches in it, uh, were the worst moments of, of their childhood, you know, having to admit, oh, yeah, dad dad smokes marijuana for his hearing. Dad smokes 
drugs, dad uses drugs. I mean, stuff that I, it's just so embarrassing and so shameful. It led to, led to uh, me going to rehab and, and really having to subscribe to everything at, at the rehab place in uh, Tucson, Arizona to, to stop and to go to meetings. I started going to Al-Anon meetings and AA meetings, uh, but that really wasn't it. And I went to Overeaters Anonymous. I went to Narcotics Anonymous. I went to a bunch of different meetings. Plus, I was still seeing, you know, psychiatrists too, trying to trying to kick this. Knew it was bad, but until I went to MA meeting, that's when I really felt I can I can recover with the help of all these other people, all these fellows who also have the same kind of problems and have gone through something like I've gone through. When you hear those stories, it makes all the difference that you can relate to that. And that's, it's a great program in that respect. So now I said it'll be uh, five years, April 17th, but now it's, I mean, I, I, mean, I have a, a routine every day. I get up and meditate and pray. And I love um, page 86 in the big blue book where he, uh, where the question is, when uh, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? But but we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. I read this every morning and ask those questions, and often there is something I could do better or some somewhere where I screwed up and I owe somebody an apology, somewhere where I was resentful, petty, uh, sulky, um, a lot of the same stuff that's in Step 10 and Life with Hope corresponds to that. Um, you know, taking, taking an inventory of your assets and your liabilities and not, not allowing resentments, fears, and worries to fester into harm done to ourselves and others. That's, that's me in a nutshell. I would take something that somebody said to me uh, very innocently and and embrace it and turn it into a, a stew of uh, of bad feeling and just add more and more ingredients to it and work out why this person didn't like me or what I had done wrong and really compulsive compulsive uh, victimization of my of myself so it goes on to say we promptly admit our wrongdoings we stay vigilant and continue to identify our obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors that's me that is so me uh 
obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. This is from step 10 in life with hope. That was me all over. And, and any um, thought or behavior that I could identify and put a reason to, I would whip into a resentment and, and turn it into a reason to smoke. This person was so mean to me. What they said to me was so mean and, and, and nobody likes me and I'm going to go out and eat worms. And, and it's just horrible how people treat me, just feeling sorry for myself and sulking. And uh, like I said, losing totally lost judgment, you know, unable to make a, a rational thought and using any irrational thoughts for uh, an excuse to smoke. So uh, to av- we learn to recognize, to avoid rationalizing, we learn to recognize our motives and avoid rationalizing, minimizing, or justifying. This is me. This is so me. <laughs> uh, rationalizing things, minimizing things, or justifying, you know, that's... And then when we lose our temper to speak rashly, we lose our ability to be fair-minded and tolerant. This is me. And I would lose my temper with my kids, lash out. I never hit anybody, but I was abusive, yelling, and and it was really because I was anxious. I was I needed to smoke. I was uh, really having a lot of anxiety, and I knew that as soon as I smoked, everything would be fine, but we're on a long car trip, or we're... Uh, doing some activity <laughs> and they could tell dead, cool it, dead get it under control you know, it just became harder and harder and harder to control my behavior and oh, one other thing I wanted to to read and this used to be in every head shop that I ever went into it. It was always on the wall somewhere, but I was in the head shop to buy rolling papers. So I never paid too much attention to it. Now I pay attention to it. It's called Desiderata. And maybe some of you have read it or have heard it, but it's somebody who, uh, this guy wrote it in 1927. And I'll just read this. And then um, I think that's all I got. All right. This says, Go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even the dull and ignorant. They they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become bitter or vain, for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career. However humble, it is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with imaginings. 
Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations and the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. So thank you so much for letting me speak tonight. And uh, I hope something resonated um, and will help your recovery the way all the fellows in MA have helped my recovery. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. This is Marianne again, and uh, that was Chris from New York. And um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us tonight. Thank you.